Tonight's Bible reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 to 20. It'll be on the screen behind me or follow along in your own Bibles. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that, it, that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. We are going to trek... Whoa, hello. We are going to trek through that passage together. So please do have your Bibles uh, open with you. And yeah, we're going to look to see what God is going to do in and through us as uh, we explore what happened in Corinth 2,000 years ago and how it relates to us uh, today. Before we do that, though, I'm going to pray as is important for us to do. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you it is useful for teaching, rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. We thank you that it was truthful when it was written 2,000 years ago in this case and still truthful today. We pray by your Holy Spirit that you help us to understand what it is that you are shaping and calling us to be in Christ, that you speak clearly through me and through all my brothers and sisters here in the room and across the screen. You help us to engage with your word tonight and be shaped into the likeness of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in our culture today, we have a bunch of like sayings or things that kind of are our typify our attitudes or the ways that we think. Now, I'm just going to kind of name a few and see if these kind of resonate with you. Might, you might say them or hear, hear it being said. So you do you. Heard that one before? That's a, pretty, that's a common one. Uh, do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt someone. This kind of goes on in our society. Or that's my truth. May have heard something along those lines. Or you can be anything that you want to be. Now, in our society, we say all sorts of things like that, heaps of others that kind of, and I guess what we identify with as important or truthful or, or, or way to live by in some way, shape or form. Now, some of the sayings are helpful. Some of them are neither here nor there. Some of them are unhelpful. and often really depends on the context to which it's being said. But as Christians, right, how we respond to these sayings, if we say them or not, or how we engage with them, is particularly important how we're going to live for Jesus, how we're going to live as the people of Christ uh, in this world. If we're going to adopt them, if we're going to see them as irrelevant, or if we're going to, in a sense, lovingly uh, challenge them. Now, in the passage that we had read tonight, Paul is very much doing the third option there because the, the sayings need some correction going to lovingly challenge and correct the Corinthians and what they've adopted from the surrounding culture in Corinth. Because these, the Corinthians have a bunch of sayings 
um, that has corrupted the way that they're living and particularly their attitudes and their practices around sex. I'm sure you kind of picked that up uh, as we had the Bible reading read for us by Katie. Now, if you haven't been with us or if you are and you want a bit of a catch-up, we are in the book or the letter to 1 Corinthians. We're picking up someone else's mail that is now the Word of God to us. And Paul, who is the, the missionary in a sense, who's the pastor from afar of this church, is calling them back to the way of Jesus because the Corinthian church is much more like Corinth than they are like Christ. And what we've been looking at is his response to reports. His reports and he's um, calling the Corinthians back to the way of Christ. And in this aspect tonight, he's calling them uh, to change how they view their sexuality, to call them away from sexual immorality. Now, from the reading, you would have heard it's very much about visiting prostitutes. Now, the, the context here, when you, whenever you see the word sexual immorality in the New Testament, the Greek word there is porneia, which you can see the link to pornography. The word porneia is talking about any form of sexual immorality, any form of sexual act or lustful thought outside marriage between a man and a woman. Right? You can fill in the blanks of what that could look like, but anything outside the marriage relationship between a man and a woman uh, in a sexual nature is porneia. Now, Paul is writing to the Corinthians. Now, I said this back in the very first sermon when we were unpacking the, the culture, but Corinth is a highly sexualized city. Now, their view, it was very highly liberal and loose about what their bodies and about sex. In Corinth, they had a temple, uh, many temples, but they had a temple for Epaphrodite. Now, you can see the link there in, to our English, but... The goddess Epaphrodite is the goddess of love, beauty, and fertility. There's kind of large-scale prostitution. There's men who have multiple mistresses. Sex is cheap. It is easy. It is transactional, centered on pleasure. That is very the, the Corinthian kind of air that's going on in the city. There was one first-century writer. His name is Favorinus. I probably didn't say it right, but that's how I'll say it. And he said, Corinth is a city favoured by Epaphrodite beyond all that are or have ever been. Right, this is a Roman guy talking about another Roman city. Okay, Corinth is up there, highly erotic, sexualised culture. Think Red Light District, Amsterdam, King's Cross at night, you fill in the blank of, of what you think there. Now, we might not have the Temple of Epaphrodite in Sydney, but you turn on Netflix, you look at some billboards, you flick through your social media feed, we know that sex sells. We know that sex is sought after, it is celebrated in a sense in our city. The goddess of Epaphrodite is alive and she is well in the city of Sydney. Corinth and Sydney are quite alike. Now if you do have your Bibles open, please do. We're going to trek through what Paul has to say in response to that. And if you have a look, you'll notice at the beginning and in verses 12 and 13, there's some quotation marks. And what Paul is doing there is he's quoting the Corinthians. Our translators have done a really helpful job for us in doing that. And Paul is going to quote a Corinthian slogan, their attitude, kind of like the slogans I had at the beginning, and then respond to it. And so let's have a look. Verse 12, the first one. The Corinthians say, I have the right to do anything. 
Another translation of that is I'm at liberty to do anything. They're saying I can do whatever I want. I'm above the law. There is no law that applies to me. Even as a Christian, I'm free. I'm allowed to do anything. So you apply that to sexual morality. It's like I can sleep with whoever I want, when I want, how I want. I define it. Anything is permissible for me. I have the right to do anything. That's how it applies. The second Corinthian quote is from verse 13. Now, initially, it doesn't make too much sense to the context, but it will in a moment. The Corinthian slogan is, the food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. In other words, the attitude is my body is purely and only physical. I have... desires and they're just material physical things they're of no permanent significance so it doesn't matter they just pass away i'm hungry i go and eat food i have a sexual desire i go and fulfill that need it's a natural craving just simply satisfied in a natural way no harm no foul it's a physical need that's fulfilled that's what that that slogan is going on about and that is how the christians are viewing sex very transactional very and only purely physical and pleasurable, and that's it. One that is completely self-seeking, just for themselves. Now, in our culture here, if Paul was kind of to quote some specific slogans that we have in this nature, what do you think he would say? There's some there on the screen. Well, it was only one night, but we love each other. It's my body, I'll do what I want. Everybody's doing it, why can't I? I watched a movie called Friends with Benefits. Came up on my feed. People think that's now my favorite movie. It is not. But there's a line in there that says, no relationship, no emotions, just sex. That's our culture, right? That is Corinthian culture. Sydney, Corinth, very much alike. And Paul is going to address this and kind of tackle it head on. But what I think the way that Paul approaches it is actually, obviously it's helpful, it's God's word, but it's really helpful in the way he does it. Because what he doesn't do is give a bunch of do's and do nots. This is the moral code, Christian, you've got to do this, don't do that. He doesn't do that. What he actually does is give them theology, give them the understanding of their body who God has designed them and redeemed them to be. Let me give you that. Let me explain to you the theology of who you are, who you're made to be, and let that inform how you view your own sexuality. And so that's what Paul is going to do. So we'll work through the the slogans and then into his argument. So let's have a look at what he says. When he responds to the Corinthians saying, I have the right to do anything, Paul says... But not everything is beneficial. Not everything is beneficial. Now, we kind of intuitively get that. Like, you're driving a car, and you know that your car needs fuel. Now, it is permissible for you to drive till you run out of fuel, but that would be ridiculous, right? You wouldn't do that. You'd fill it up with fuel. So, Paul is saying, sure, it's possible for you to have sex with whoever you want, but that doesn't mean it's good for you. In fact, it will probably be harmful when you take it out of God's design. Now, the second response to the Corinthians saying, I have the right to do anything, is Paul says, but I will not be mastered by 
anything. He's saying, I'm going to be self-controlled. I'm not going to use my freedom, which I have, to sin. No. I'm not going to satisfy sinful desires and let them just become a new master over me, become to a new and worse enslavement. No, my sexual desires will not be my master. Like you think, for example, someone will rarely look at porn once. There's a compulsion that comes to do it again and again. Very quickly, that desire becomes the master of that person. And Paul is saying, I'm going to have nothing to do with that. And as we read the Bible, what we see is that Christian freedom is not freedom to sin. It is freedom from sin. We are freed from the chains of sin that drive us, not to go sell ourselves back into slavery to it. Those Corinthian slogans, they're inviting sinful behavior. They're inviting a way to indulge and be enslaved. But the Christian way, when we have the Holy Spirit, we're redeemed, is that we can turn away from sin and find life and freedom in Christ. That's what Paul is trying to teach there. And then he attacks the second saying, the one that's a bit more stark, really. And then he uses that to get into his argument. Let's have a look, verse 13. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. Paul's response, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Right? The underlying statement, kind of, as we were looking at before with the Corinthians, is they're kind of saying, well, it doesn't matter about my physical body. And also, God doesn't really care. Right? He just cares for my spiritual nature, just spiritual eternal things. Therefore, there's no consequence to how I practice my sexuality. And Paul says, no, that's a lie. That is not true. In fact, our bodies, our physical mortal bodies, the one that you we're in, we're embodied beings, are important. They're not just some stitched together bunch of skin and muscles and, and bones and just appetites for us to appease. No, by our nature, we are embodied beings that are, belong to God. So what we do with our sexual nature matters. Our body is for the Lord, not for sexual immorality. And so with that kind of critique of their sayings, he then steps into the theology of the body. How is it that we should understand the purpose and the nature of our physical bodies as God designed them? And is how he's redeemed and intended them to be. So that's where we go. Verse 14. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he'll raise you also. We're talking physically, right? When we read 1 Corinthians 15, physically raised uh, and given new bodies. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Two kind of quick things to point out from those two verses is the fact that we're going to be raised. Right, we read in 1 Corinthians 15 that our bodies are transformed in like a flash, the sound of a trumpet, lightning, and given new, like redeemed, transformed bodies. Our physical bodies are important. The second thing is that our bodies are members of Christ. Now that is kind of a bit of a crazy, strange thought to have, that our bodies are members of Christ. A kind of more literal translation is that we are limbs or organs of Christ. Because sometimes when we think of members, we might think of like being a member at a club or a social team or sporting team, whatever it may be, where you kind of can dabble in and out. Paul is saying, no, you are like united. You are united with Christ. Your body it belongs to him, united with him. 
Now, of course, literally, Christ is physically in the heavenly realms. He is an embodied, he's still human. He's in the transformed self, but still human in the heavenly realms. But we are so united to Christ. We're in him. Just like our feet and our hands are united to part of us, so we're united to Christ. Now, that is a, this is kind of an incredible thought, but that is, that is what we are told. That is the truth. And in light of that, Paul goes on to say, Shall then I take a member of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? He's saying there that sex unites two people together. Now, obviously that happens physically, but it also happens, we know, psychologically and mentally, emotionally in a person. Even this kind of nature of casual sex, whatever it may be, there's a unifying act that happens. And Paul is building an argument here. He is saying, you're a member of Christ and sex unites people. So if you go have sex with a prostitute, then you're like uniting Christ with that prostitute. Like a ridiculous, no, don't do that. Paul's like, take the thought away. No, never. He doesn't want to condone or even think about that. We could never conceive of uniting Christ with such immorality. Now, it's important to make an initial distinction here that Christ loves women who are working in the sex industry. He loves them. When you, when you look at uh, the Gospels, you see Jesus, what's he always up, the Pharisees always upset for? Hanging around with tax collectors and sinners. Hanging around with people who are practicing in the sex trade. Jesus doesn't condone their behavior, but he loves the person dearly. What we're talking about here is more in, obviously it's physically happening, but uniting with Christ in something that is immoral. To have sex with a person, even if it's casual, without care, is uniting Christ, if it's outside marriage, in an act of immorality. Our bodies are not our own. They belong to the Lord. Now, within this whole discussion about our bodies being the Lord's and united with Christ, Paul pops in the phrase... uh, signifying about God's good design. It said at the end of verse 16, we haven't read it yet, but the two will become one flesh. Does it draw up anything for you? Whenever it says, as it is said or as it is written, it's referring back to something in the Old Testament. Now, that's referring back to Genesis chapter 2, all the way back to the very beginning of the creation narrative, when God designed, when God created the world. So you can flick there if you want. It'll be on the screen. You'll probably be fairly familiar with the story, so I'll, I'll just kind of paint the scene for you. In Genesis 2, God has created the world, everything kind of physical and animals, and he's created man, Adam. And at this point, he's looking to give Adam a companion. The animals don't work. They don't, they're not good companions for Adam, the man. And so God makes a companion for Adam out of Adam's own body, uh, who is a woman. Now, this is God's good design. At the end there in verse 25, uh, 24, where it explains what's going on, it says, This is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, what we see here, this is pre fall, right? This is a beautiful image. Two people coming together, no guilt, no shame, perfectly compatible to one another. The first kind of wedding ceremony that we see. God's good design. 
Two people coming together in unity, expressed between a man and a woman, husband and wife. But I want to point out when this is written. I've said it already, but this is written in Genesis 2, which is before Genesis 3. Obviously with me on there. But before the fall, right? Before sin entered the world. We were sexual before we were sinful. So there is good design. There is right use for sex and there is therefore wrong use for it too. When we take it out of its good design, that's where the problems occur. That's where sexual morality happens. When we take things out of how they're designed, problems happen. I was on my Facebook feed again. I don't feel like I'm on Facebook that much. Apparently, I am. But there was a, um, a guy who went down to Bunnings or something, and he had a hatchback car, and he built like a, kind of like a roof rack on it. And for some reason, he thought it was a great idea that he wanted to get like a ton of sand. It was like this huge bag of sand. And so he got the forklift guy to come get the sand and put it on top of his hatchback car where he'd put um, a, fa- well, a kind of retrofitted roof racks. And he's telling the, the uh, forklift driver, like, come, yeah, yeah, go, put it on, put it on. He's like affirming this guy, yes, go do it. The forklift driver, like, no, 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 I don't know, man, this is not a good idea. And as he puts the sand on, you just watch the car, <laughs> like, fully compress. And then the, the guy who had the car gets angry and then chases after the forklift driver as if it's his fault. When we do something beyond its intended design, it's going to cause problems. God's good design for sexual intimacy is reserved for marriage between a man and a woman alone. To take it out of God's design is to use it as it's not intended. Of course, that is sinful and it's likely to cause harm to us and to others. Now, Paul has more to say about our bodies, though. Uh, he picks up a new dimension in, uh, from verses 18 about the fact that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, kind of working in aspects of the Trinity and how it is that the Lord can be united with us. So we're with me from verse 18. He says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have received from God. Now, there's plenty going on, but at the center there is that our physical bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The third person of God, the Holy Spirit, dwells within the Christian, dwells within us. God makes his home. That is, that's a mind-boggling thought, but that is true. So in the same way a person can defile a physical temple, and there's stories of like the Jewish people when they got attacked by other forces, like they would go and chuck pigs, which is you know, a real bad thing for the Jewish people, inside the temple to defile the temple. In the same way we can defile a physical temple so our bodies can be defiled from sexual immorality. When we do that, it defiles our body. And that is kind of the stark image that Paul is creating here. It's not that sexual sin is some kind of grand sin that kind of trumps all else, but there's special, there's significant weight that we must give because our bodies, our physical bodies, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then this brings Paul to his kind of final, kind of concluding statement about the theology of our bodies. He's been building to this, and he's kind of said in some ways, shapes or forms. 
but we are not our own. We belong to the Lord. Read from me from where we left off. You are not your own, you are bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. In the ancient world, slaves, they were transferred from one owner to another at a price. That's kind of the image that would have evoked for the Corinthians. uh, And we can understand that too. We're transferred. If you're a Christian, you're transferred from being under the realm of sin and darkness to enlight the kingdom of God, part of the family of God, a daughter, a son, a child of God. But for that transfer to happen, a great price needed to be paid. Incredible price, costly price needed to be paid. And we know that that happened in the person of Jesus. Right back in chapter 1 and in chapter 15, uh, Paul and throughout the New Testament and foreshadowed in the Old, we see that Christ died on the cross for our sin. The only satisfactory payment for our injustices and our sin and for him to win the victory for us over sin and death is that he had to die for us. And that is the gospel, that he would step into this world and save us, and he would delight in doing that. So can I say in this moment that if you're feeling guilty about your past, feeling guilty about some way that you've been sexually immoral, you are forgiven. If you've come to Jesus, the price has been paid. You are forgiven. That is the gospel, showered with the grace of our God. So when you read, you're bought at a price, honour God with your bodies, the positive element of that is that you are forgiven. You're in the family of God, called a son, called a daughter. If you've called in repentance and faith in the Lord, feel the great embrace of Jesus' love, of his mercy for you. Because we belong to him. We are in Christ. Now, in some ways, as people of 21st century Sydney, we can react against the fact that we're not our own. Kind of, it's a bit abrasive, kind of rubs against our autonomy uh, and our individualistic, individualistic nature. And when we buy into the lie that we are our own, that is very much the ground and the course that will lead towards sexual immorality. But knowing that we belong to God and we are not our own, is actually one of the most liberating and indeed motivating things about our walk with God. A Christian author named Alan Noble, a wonderful author, and he writes, one of the primary ways for us to kind of flourish in the modern world, which is similar to Corinth, uh, is to embrace, I'm sure you all know it, the Heidelberg Catechism. You're all on board with that, yeah? I had no idea either. It's okay. But it was written in 1563. And a catechism is something which is like a summary of Christian statement. It's a question and then an, and an answer. And it was written to help the Christians at the time navigate the cultural pressures of the day. And it's just as helpful for us. There's the kind of whole thing on there. I'm just going to read the first line. It says, The question that is posed is, What is your only comfort in life and death? The answer, That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my Savior Jesus Christ. And it goes on to the freedom that he purchased for us. Now, in recent times, you may have heard of the artist Dustin Kensu. And he wrote a song, which is kind of built off this in 1 Corinthians 6, called My One Comfort. And it's a way, as a way of kind of us expressing and kind of seeing how this can apply to us. I want to read to you that song. I won't sing it because you all leave, and that would be horrendous. But I'll read it to you. My one comfort, both in life and death, 
is that I am not my own. I was bought with blood and I confess that I belong to you alone. By the Father's good decree, Jesus, you've delivered me. By your Spirit, set me free to follow you. Jesus, you have taken hold of me and in your grip of grace, I am finally free. My one comfort both in life and death is that I'm not my own. Uh, I'd play it for you, but it's against copyright and all sorts of things. But I encourage you, listen to that song, My One Comfort uh, by Dustin Kendrew. And at the foundation of our sexual purity and living a holy life is that I am not my own. If you're a Christian, you are not your own. You belong to the Lord and praise God. That is a good, that is a beautiful thing. Now for us to actually live this holy life continuously, you know as well as I do, that can be a hard, continuous, daily struggle. Even when our desires are good and we have like right desires, we feel them being seduced by our sinful ones. And the guiding principle here about understanding our bodies and we're united to Christ is the theology. That is where it begins. That is where it's helpful. Hold on to that. Let that shape our understanding. But as Paul, and as Paul says in Romans 2, like, let the, um, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ask the Holy Spirit to continue to shape you into likeness of Jesus that way. But Paul does give a very specific command, a very practical one here, and I kind of glazed over it originally. But in verse 18, he said, flee from sexual immorality. Right? Literally kind of get your shoes on and run like a fugitive escaping. Get out of there. That's the kind of imagery that is portrayed here. Now, let me offer kind of a helpful phrase that maybe is helpful for you as you pursue holiness and that is run from sin run to god and run with others run from sin run to god and run with others so firstly just unpack them really briefly like run from sin if you find yourself in a situation that's going to be tempting leave that's pretty blunt but leave if you know you're going to be go to a place where it's going to be tempting don't go now, there's lots of different ways. We're all kind of individual in the way that we're going to be tempted. So have, reflect on your life and think about where it is uh, that you find yourself being tempted most or falling into sin and put things in place to help stop that. Like filters on your phone, not being on social media at night, perhaps reducing the amount of time you spend with certain friends or where you go certain places. Running from sin is both not going to the places and then leaving from them if you find yourself in them. Run from sin. Secondly, run to God. As you run from sin, run to God. That is where life is. That is where forgiveness is found. That is where hope and beauty, all things good, beautiful, and true are. That is the positive thing. And as we run to God, we continually be transformed in the by the renewing of our mind. We grow in the knowledge and depth of inside of Christ. So continue to run to God. You're doing that in this moment. You're hearing God's word. You're worshipping him. Continue to seek him in prayer, reflecting on God in the conversations that you have, maybe in fasting or Sabbathing, listening to Christian music, whatever it is that helps you engage with God to connect with him. In God, we find life. We find freedom. That is the positive that we are, we are chasing after. Run to God. And then thirdly, run with others. Run with your, your, your Christian sister, with your brother, with your sisters or brothers, whatever it may be. In Galatians 2, it says, carry one another's burdens. In Ecclesiastes 4.12, it says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. 
A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Like seek out those trusted Christian sisters, brothers that you can share faith with. Find accountability, encouragement to spur each other on. Right? And I do this and it's hard. It's not always pleasant to be vulnerable and it, it, it does take it's hard. I'm not, not suggesting it's easy. But when you find uh, or you build a relationship where there is trust and there is love and there's genuine kind of care to see people grow in a relationship with Christ, that is where the beauty is found, when we run with one another. Run from sin, run to God, run with others. Friends, because we are not our own. We belong to the Lord. We are part of his family, whether we have the temple of the Holy Spirit uh, within us. And so we are called to honor God with our bodies because it's important. We're embodied people. We express our worship with our bodies. We respond in faith. And therefore, we're called to be holy. Now, of course, we live in Sydney and it's highly sexualized, or you live in any kind of place in the world. I imagine it's expressed in, in different ways, but similar. But the way God is calling us to is life and is good. And sometimes we might think it's bad. We might think it's, you know, we might know better. But trust God. Trust him in his word. And as we kind of close this Corinthian series, I'm sure there's heaps of things, many things, or I hope many things that the Holy Spirit has put on you that means like, well, how God is seeking to shape us into likeness of Jesus and live as distinctly Christian in an unchristian world. Continue to press into those things. Continue together to grow into the likeness of Christ as his church, being his witness to the world, us growing in our relationship with him. And may God get the glory through all the things that we do. May we be blessed. And we ask that God will continue to grow his kingdom and his church in and through us until the day Jesus returns. Let me pray. Our loving God, we thank you for your good design. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you call us to holiness because that is who you are and because it is good. Father, thank you that we can fall into your arms of grace and forgiveness for the times that we have failed you, for the times that we have not followed your good and right design and followed and sought after the fleeting pleasures of this world. We do ask that you help us to understand the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells within us, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we ask that you do all things through us to your glory and our good until you return. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, please stand with us as we continue to sing. And I've forgotten what we're going to sing, but we're going to sing, I give you my heart. So please stand as we sing that together.